there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Now, enjoy the show. Come here, you simply must come here. Sit next to me and tell these beautiful people the story you told me. Story? Yes, the one that had me in stitches all night. That's not a high hurdle to cross. Oh, hush. I'm on your schedule. Harry, tell them. Uh, It's really not that funny. You have to now. We're all in suspense. I had just stepped off the docks on my way to lunch. Excuse me, please. Saved by a hair. Uh, uh, you, you tell them a story. You do it so much better. Think of the most fabulously wealthy person you know personally. Picture their bank account, their car, their apartment that actually has heat in the winter. Don't dip me. Don't dip me. I'll fall. And now think about the fact that person would most likely be a peasant out of Les Miserables when compared to Harry Oakes, formerly known as Sir Harry Oakes, first baronet of Nassau. We had a bit of a spill. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. I was jostled. I didn't mean to. It's fine. It's fine. Lord knows I have enough glasses. Yes, sir. Grab a drink. It certainly looks like you could use one. Oakes was a philanthropist, business magnate, and gold miner. And on July 8th, 1943, after throwing a Gatsby-esque celebration in his Nassau Bahamas mansion, he was beaten to death and lit on fire. (laughs) Oakes was a second coming Rockefeller, fabulously rich and influential. He invested heavily in the infrastructure of the Bahamas, including propping up the island nation's housing and farming industries. It sounds altruistic, but Oakes moved to the Bahamas in 1935 to take advantage of their tax haven status. By all accounts, Oakes was a respected businessman with a prestigious acumen, and yet his death was graphically cruel. He was bludgeoned and burned and left to die alone in his bedroom. His family was away on a trip, a small mercy for them, but does not detract from the fact that he died alone. In a low-income community, the knee-jerk reaction would be to assume a robbery gone awry. But the house wasn't sacked. The richest, most influential man on a tiny island nation is murdered in apparent cold blood. And the culprit slipped out into the night without a trace. (laughs) 
This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. You're listening to our first episode on the murder of Sir Harry Oakes. If you want to hear our investigation into other cold cases, you can listen, subscribe, and write reviews on your favorite podcast directory. You can also listen through our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. A man doesn't become a tycoon without making a target of himself. And Oakes earned his riches during two of the most turbulent periods in modern history, World War I and the Great Depression. Oakes, the son of a wealthy lawyer from Maine, started life at an advantage and managed to climb society's ladder steadily as he grew. He attended private schools in his youth and was accepted into the Syracuse Medical School in 1897. But after two years in the program, Oakes abruptly dropped out when he heard tale of an exciting new metal being found in the wilds of Alaska. Oh, I found it! I found it! <laughs> in 1896, miners struck gold in Alaska. The nation's appetite for the shiny stuff was whetted almost 50 years prior in California, and soon miners flooded to the remote Alaskan territory. The Klondike Gold Rush brought an estimated 100,000 people to Alaska, and three years after the rush began, Oaks could be counted among their ranks. (laughs) Oaks left a life of luxury behind to forge a new one as a prospector. Why settle for family wealth when you can add even more zeros to your bank account? And whoa, did it pay off. (sighs) Oaks was the boy king of the new gold rush, chasing riches and bringing help along with him. In the purest sense of the word, he was passionate. Try, Try the other side of the mountain. We already dug there. Look where I'm pointing. How many sides can you count? Four. But we haven't dug all the sides, have we? For the better half of the next 20 years, Oaks traveled the globe in search of gold, as close as California and as far as Australia. Wait! In 1911, he landed in Ontario, Canada, mining near Kirkland Lake. It was a risky move to mine a lake, and he very nearly went bankrupt before being bolstered by his wealthy mother for one final expedition. Though the heir of a wealthy family had a lot of advantages that others didn't, the decision to mine the lake was controversial and a huge risk. Ontario locals tried to dissuade him from wasting his time, but because Oakes was well known for his temerity and not his social grace, he surely told them where to stick their advice. Come, come, come around here. What does that look like to you? (laughs) We have it! We have it! And sure enough... The gamble worked. He struck gold and formed the Lakeshore Mine, convinced the lake held a hidden wealth of gold. And he was right. Oak's good luck streak and ingenuity carried him for another two decades. The Lakeshore Mine became the most lucrative mine not only in North America, but the entire Western world. Gold mining is grueling, backbreaking work, and while Oakes was cultivating his millions and collecting the very first luxury cars, his workers most certainly did not reap the same benefits. 
Any of you pocket some of the rocks? <coughs> what? We're pulling handfuls out of the ground every hour. You ever take any? Well, no. Hmm. I have. Are you crazy? I like my blue jeans without holes in the knees. How do you suppose I buy those on the pittance we get? I... Exactly. You don't suppose. And what do you suppose will happen when he finds out? Nah, he won't miss it, so he won't notice. <laughs> a rich man don't never miss when he's being swindled. That's how come they're rich, and you're stealing little chunks of rock to pay for blue jeans. Say <coughs> so you show up one morning in a nice new pair of pants. You think he won't notice and start wondering to himself just how you could afford them? Tread carefully is all I'm gonna say. By all accounts, Lakeshore Mine was an ethically run establishment, but put yourself in a prospector's shoes. You're hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles away from home, having packed up your entire life in the hopes of striking it rich and improving your station. Being your own boss isn't leading to any riches, and you're hungry, so you agree to work for a man who wants to reap the benefits without handling the pickaxe himself, and Oakes did not often get his hands dirty. You work out in the elements finding gold you can't keep for yourself, often being paid much less than your labor merits. How's the haul today? Sir. It looks like we hit a good vein. Just wondering how you're doing. Fill the bucket, sir. Good. That's good. Well, keep it up. I will. Those blue jeans look smart. Are they new? Yes. <laughs> I'll be. Well, I suppose that's it then. I want two more buckets by the end of day. That won't be possible by the end of the day. What was that? No one's pulled more than two pails a day. Three is impossible. Impossible? <laughs> hmm. Well, I guess your day just got longer. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. And now... Let's continue our story. Come 1920, Sir Harry Oakes was widely reported to be Canada's wealthiest citizen. When you're the richest man in an entire nation, you become an incredibly easy target to those whose life has been less kind. At the height of the mine's power, it was netting Oakes roughly $60,000 a day. $60,000 a day in the 1920s is an unimaginable sum, and due to being abroad, Oakes did not fall victim to the U.S. stock market crash in 1929. While everyone else floundered, he flourished. He married a much younger woman named Eunice in 1923 and quickly started a family. It isn't difficult to be the head of a family on what is the modern equivalent of $837,000 a day. All right, darling, we're almost there, and it will be wonderfully warm. 
A life of leisure in Canada is more than most families can ask for. But the allure of even greater wealth never left the gold tycoon. It's one thing to get rich and entirely another to stay that way. And who is a rich person's most hated government employee? The tax man. In a classic tale of privilege and shirking responsibility, Oaks moved on to greener pastures. In 1935, the American-born Oaks became a British citizen and transplanted his family to the British colony of the Bahamas. In addition to the beautiful beaches, the Bahamas were also a tax haven for the elite. The tax rates were virtually non-existent, and the island soon became a slush fund for those willing to game the system. Oakes and his wife, Eunice, lived a life of luxury on the small island, which at that time was sparsely populated. Once in the Bahamas, Oakes became an angel investor of sorts within the community. The runway isn't nearly long enough. We could expand it back a few yards. <laughs> a yard and an inch are the same thing. So what do you suggest? Clear out those trees in the other direction. We can add multiple landing strips. Don't you think that's excessive? We hardly use the strip we do have. Eyes on the future, Eunice. This place will be so bustling, we'll build even more runways. And then more airports. The Oaks settled in Nassau, a major city in New Providence, the big island of the Bahamas. When does the shipment of new concrete arrive? We were meant to get it two days ago. There was a storm off Cuba. Did the ship sink? I don't think so. Then I ask again. When is it coming? I'm not sure. Is this not your job? To be sure? As soon as I receive word, you'll know. Oak set about refurbishing the existing small airport, which grew into what he would rename Oaks Field. If we clear the fields here, here, and here, we could add three, four more airstrips. Well, that's a good start. What about on the back end? It's all swamp. Could we fill it in? We can try, but eventually it'll sink. Oh, Lord, that's all I need. Once the airport expanded, Oaks set his sights on another traditional bastion of the rich, the country club. Oaks cleared more land and built a country club and a golf course in New Providence. The Bahamas was not a wealthy colony, so the luxury vacation spots must have, even unconsciously, seemed exclusionary. We could host Easter. The airstrip will be completed. Oh, it would be lovely. A brisk round of golf after church. If we have the staff for it. Why wouldn't we? Before we're accused of spreading an eat-the-rich bias, we would like to draw attention to Oak's formal title, Baronet. In 1939, four years after arriving in Nassau, Oaks was knighted in recognition of his work within the island community. In addition to expanding the airport and golf courses, Oaks used his prospector money to expand low-income housing for the island natives and prop up the local hospitals. So how many more houses could we fit in this block? And a daycare. Yeah, yes, that too. Four? Five? And if we cleared that section? Perhaps six more. Do it. For as much as Oaks catered to the wealthy, he pumped money back into the economy. There was a generous spirit hiding deep under the curmudgeonly exterior. But with his constant development, he began acquiring more and more land. I want that grove cleared by morning. Of course. We should have had this course built a week ago. Why am I paying for my schedule to be so delayed? We'll clear it right away. 
By 1941, Oaks owned the land deeds for over 40% of New Providence. I want the swamp filled. Sir, it will sink. Then I'll fix it, won't I? The airstrip needs to be expanded. Without expansion, we're just a speck on a map. I'll tell my men. It's priority one. If you say so. Formerly the wealthiest man in Canada, Oakes retained his title in his island home. He was easily the richest man in the Bahamas until his death in 1943. Murder is no stranger for any nation, but Oakes's was a scandal of unforeseen proportions. Oakes was the Bill Gates of his time, and we never expect such brutality to befall someone with tremendous power. The murder scene itself was brutal, make no mistake. Harry? Harry! Under the cover of a tropical storm, family friend Harold Christie slept in Oak's guest room the night of the murder. <coughs> oh, God! As dawn broke, Christie ventured into the master bedroom, a bad feeling gnawing at his gut. Oh! Harry! He made the grisly discovery. Laying in his bed, the body nearly unrecognizable from the waist up. Oaks had been liberally saturated with gasoline and lit a flame. The surrounding area was also doused and lit on fire. The body was still smoldering. Oh, oof. Oh, my. The smell. Oh. Someone call the police. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. Harold Christie had just found his friend, Sir Harry Oak's bedroom, in a horrifying tableau. The pillows on the bed had been ripped apart, and feathers stuck to Oak's body. A decorative lacquered screen by the bed was marred with blood and fingerprints, suggesting a mighty struggle. Now bear in mind that this was 1943. Fingerprinting was in practice, but the modern database didn't exist. The Bahamas were also a relatively rural colony at this point. Oaks clearly put up a fight, but not much could be drawn from the physical evidence of that. Harold Christie? Officer. Do you sleep well? Excuse me? Would you say you sleep well? I... yes. Christie was easily flustered and tripped over his words. Then what woke you? The smoke. You said you couldn't smell it from the guest room. Well, something was wrong. I could feel it. So you entered the bedroom? He was... <clears throat> he was still smoking. He immediately raised every red flag they could see. Can you imagine how painful burning is? No. Have you ever burned yourself cooking? Not badly. It's agonizing. <sighs> Why are you telling me this? Because I find it very hard to believe you didn't hear anything. You can't possibly think I did this. You tell me. It's not an unfair question. How dare you? Lower your voice. Well, the state of the room suggested Oakes did not go gentle into that good night. He was my friend. You're saying that I could kill my friend? His head, chest, and neck were slathered in congealed blood. Now, head wounds bleed heavily, but the police found another odd piece of evidence on his body. <sighs> Let's take a breath, shall we? <sighs> I didn't do this. Did you inspect the body? Not closely, no. I didn't. I didn't want to get too close. 
So you didn't see his head? His head? There were four small indentations on the side of his skull. Through all the blood and the burned flesh, the cause of death was likely the bashing of the skull. So why go through the trouble of mutilating his corpse? Are we done? May I... Has someone told Eunice? She's been informed, yes. Does she know about the... I'm not in the habit of telling widows the gory details. Good. Good. She shouldn't find out. Not yet. Perhaps it was to cover up the calculated nature of the crime. Bashing in the side of the skull suggests passion. But a torched bed sounds calculated. Someone in control wanted to seem like they were very much the opposite, and managed not to disturb the house while doing it. It's horrible. Uh, Who would do something like this? As the Lindbergh family can attest, money puts a target on your back. And if a criminal is unscrupulous enough, it can easily turn deadly. Yet no money was stolen from the house. Perhaps it wasn't greed that drove the calculated crime, but rather a complex social ideal. The Bahamas were under British rule, and while the tourists and settlers enjoyed fabulous wealth, the average medium income was not high. Colonialism has entrenched deep-reaching repercussions, and one foreign man owning nearly half the land in a nation cannot sit well with that population. Oakes was philanthropic, but not shy about flaunting his riches and abrasive in the way that only a millionaire can get away with. After a lifetime of good fortune and intuitive business acumen, could Oaks have been undone by an angry populist? Or perhaps it came from a little closer to home. He had a family of seven, and a notoriously difficult man does not often have a seamless relationship with children set to inherit his fortune. His daughter Nancy married Alfred Freddy DiMarini, a count, and Oaks hated the man. Why won't you just give him a chance? Would you like me to write you a list? Your father is just upset you didn't tell us. He's been married. Twice. Harry. You were 17. Mama was half your age when you met her. When Nancy and Dee Marini clandestinely eloped, it created a lifelong feud between the men. If the Hatfields and McCoys taught us anything, feuds can turn deadly with little provocation. I don't trust him. They're married. There's nothing else we can do. Everyone has a price. He's a count. You aren't going to win that bidding war. The men would sabotage each other's happiness every chance they got. Eventually, it devolved into a cold war with Nancy stuck directly in the middle. Daddy, I want you to speak with Freddy. I'll speak over his casket. That's terrible, and you know it. I have nothing to say to the man. But could that animosity have bubbled over beyond hatred? A high-profile man murdering his equally famous father-in-law is a scandal fit for a soap opera. But wasn't that fitting for a man with a larger-than-life persona? Sir, Christy, you okay? (sighs) May I have a minute? Take your time. For all the intrigue, one thing was clear. Someone was very, very angry with Harry Oakes, and they made it known. Everyone is going to think I did this. Did you? Of course not. A man alone in a murder house, traditionally, does not have the most convincing alibi. Why would I kill my friend? Insane men do insane things every day. I'm not crazy. But was he guilty? The crime scene was so brutal, but also so staged. Was it a crime of passion or staged to look that way? 
Christy certainly had the opportunity. And as we'll elaborate on next week, DeMarini had the motive. Enjoy, you bastard. So who brought Sir Harry Oaks to such a brutal end? And why? It's certainly easy to pin a murder on a jealous or disgruntled townsperson. And normally, you wouldn't be far off. But does Occam's razor apply? Is the simplest solution truly the right one? Don't you believe me? I can't say right now. What are we going to do now? Move on. It's all we can do. But who was the trigger man? And how did they manage to evade suspicion in the Bahamas' most high-profile slang? Am I free to go? Join us next week as we dive into the greedy investigation of Sir Harry Oak's murder. And don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on Facebook or Twitter at Parcast Network. A new episode comes out every Tuesday, and next Tuesday we'll continue our investigation into the murder of Sir Harry Oaks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Maggie Admire, and written by Kenneth Martin and Samantha Gourash. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Z. Cruz, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Nicholas Massou, and Greg Polson. <laughs>